in Scranton by 11. So we got, got a hoop tournament today. Um, so we'll see how, how that rolls. Okay. You, let, you're let me, the host. Uh, am I a host? You are now. Good morning, Daisy. Okay. Those words always mean so much to me, Ray, that when I'm a host of a Mount Calvary presentation, that's, that's a, such a dangerous thought. Okay. Let's, let's rock and roll. Okay. So, um, we are going to go one more week after this week. I, I, I'm going to close. Okay. And, um, you, you know, we're going to cover chapter 11 and 12 today, and then we're going to finish with, uh, chapter 13 next week. And, um, then we're going to kind of part ways. There's going to be a big hole in my life on Saturday morning, for sure. You guys are a good group. You really challenged me and uh, made me think a lot. I think the best part of this lesson is the reflection that takes place, you know, 6.30 and beyond or 7.30 and beyond when we're done. Uh, because I, 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 I tend to see all the things I, I didn't see when I prepped for the lesson because you guys drew them out. So I really appreciate that. So let's jump in. Okay. Um, last week, if you can recall, we talked, you know, I wanted to, for whatever reason, it stood out to me that we talked a lot about making oaths, you know, and I, I really um, felt for me as a leader, you know, I, I think it's pretty important for leaders to be able to articulate what they believe, you know, so I, I think as leaders, if, if a leader doesn't know their worldview, if a leader doesn't know their core values, that would make me a little nervous, you know? So I think that's a, a piece. I just applied for a job recently and I sent them five of my core values as part of um, an email. And, and, you know, they didn't ask for that as part of the application packet, but I really want people to understand, you know, what's the reason why this guy's in leadership and, and, and in education, you know? And I think that's important for us to spend a lot of time personally reflecting on that so that we can articulate that. Um, so I, I think that's kind of where Nehemiah was in the last chapter. You know, he talked a lot about, um, you know, people committing to something. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with a, a leader in an organization. You know, we all have a, a job descriptions. And I feel like when I write a job description, it's like a compliance document um, to just check a box you know, but I wonder sometimes if I should be, you know, more sensitive to that, you know, like, do I really need to be thoughtful about every word in that job description? Because that's, you know, I, I would imagine at times, some, sometimes the only thing people look at in terms of their entry in an organization. Um, job descriptions are pretty boring in my mind. So I'd like to do something a little more flashy than a job description when I, when I onboard a, uh, an employee you know, or bring somebody into an organization. So there's got to be something a little bit more catchy. You know, Larry works in a place where they got keys to the, the culture. You know, they, they talk about eight, eight or nine keys to culture, right? And I think um, that's, that's something that's good. And it's got to be something simple. I mean, too, I, you know, I've been in so many uh, organizations where we've written mission vision, and I almost want to vomit sometimes when I'm on those committees because it's just checking the box. You know, in Pennsylvania schools, every three years, I've got to write a 150-page document where we call it a comprehensive plan, and you bring everybody together to talk about mission vision. Well, you know, if it's not something that's going to have application, people tend to just check out, including a leader like myself. So that's kind of where we went last week. Um, any thoughts with that, jumping in here first from last week with Chapter 10? Okay, so I, I think as we consider this, there's three good verses. You know, I, I looked at three specific leaders in Moses, Solomon, and Jesus just to, to show what they've said about when you say something or when you ascribe to something, how important that is to, you know, to model it, to live it out, to be consistent with it. Okay, um, just one more thought and review. You know, this kind of stood out to me. Um, you know, uh, in this scripture in Matthew, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Every city household divided against itself will not stand. You know, so again, you can substitute just about anything for kingdom, right? It can be your organization. It can be your family. 
Um, it can be a sports team. It can be whatever group you're involved. It can be a church. Um, so I think that we have to be very careful. And then from a secular side, you know, I've always liked some of the Jim Collins work. Um, and, and you look, you know, look at actual practical application study of businesses. You know, when, when companies have, have commitments to certain things, you know, tenants that they believe in. You know, I talk about Chick-fil-A and Starbucks as two examples that, that you know, I tend to, to look at. But, but you look at Southwest Airlines, some of these other companies, um, they all subscribe. You know, you want to do things and you don't have to do a million things well, but you better do a couple things well. And I think that we need to take a look at these organizations and, you know, and just see why, why do they stand out uh, in what they do. Um, you know, I think the downfall of many organizations, they try to do too much. You know, so like we were asked Mount Calvary Church, what do they do well? My hope is the pastor would be able to say that, you know, and if he can't, you know, then they need to make an effort to streamline, to prioritize, you know, and I know that's something that our staff is going to do here coming up. Uh, because I think when you, you know, when you do a, a, a survey of the landscape of your organization, if you're not doing what you think is the right thing or the most important thing, you ought to take a step back, reflect and revise, right? So I think that's, that's always good to freshen up as well. Okay, so jumping into Nehemiah 11. Now there's two chapters and, you know, I'm going to do the old, um, throw this out there, lots of names, okay, that I'm not even going to go near, okay? And I'm just going to say, hey, here, here's this group of people. If you want to spend a little time and read all about them, have at it. Okay. It's not just going to, it's not going to come from me though. Okay. So we take a look at this first chapter and the introduction to chapter 11. Okay. And the first line again is one concept that I want to connect to here. Okay. We have the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. Okay. So, you know, the walls built, we, we, we did a covenant. Okay, and I think we have to talk a lot about, um, you know, kind of what's going on here as we get started. So the first point I wanted to look at is, you know, these leaders moved into Jerusalem. Okay, Jerusalem was a city. Jerusalem was, um, I'll talk a little bit more about city life here in a minute. But, you know, the leaders were the first person to settle there. You know, it's funny, I, I, I'm looking for superintendent jobs. Um, in school districts, and many superintendent jobs have what's called residency requirements. You've got to live in the school district, okay? And for a guy who's building a house, that makes me a little nervous, right? So, okay, I break ground. I spend a fortune on all the dumb um, permits and all the dumb um, hula hoops I got to jump through to, to actually dig a hole. And then all of a sudden, I get a superintendent job, and they might say, hey, we want you to live here. Okay, um, it's not quite that way, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that was kind of an industry standard. Now that's changed a little bit, you know, and, and I think I still will be able to be a superintendent and build a house somewhere else at the same time. But, but there's, some, there's some, you know, truth to that historically, you know, if your leaders aren't willing to put themselves, you know, in the church, you know, so like think about Mount Calvary Christian School, they want the leaders to be members of the church, okay? You know, there, there is some value, I believe, in that whole concept. Well, I don't, you know, personally subscribe to, it's, it's, it's an end-all, be-all, there's no option. I do think you have to strongly consider being where the people are, okay? And I think that's what's, what's led off here in the first chapter. So the, the first verse finishes, the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every 10 to live with them in Jerusalem, the holy city, while, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people were commended, uh, all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. So, you know, again, let's talk a little bit about what Jerusalem was. Okay, why don't you think people wanted to live there? What, what was the problem? You know, use, use the question. What's the problem of living in a city? I think I read in one of the commentaries that the, um, you had to be more holy and also the, um, it wasn't really good, like it wasn't good property value. So people didn't really want to live there. There wasn't merchants and, or selling. 
So Heidi, great point. Now I grew up five, min five minutes from Trenton, New Jersey, and I grew up 20 from inner city Philly, okay? And then God took me on this little tour to Elizabethtown in central Pennsylvania, you know? And now I'm, I'm getting this little plot of land in, in, in a little bit of heaven out in the middle of the country. And I have to laugh because where I grew up was a nice place. But if you took a step the wrong direction, okay, you know, um, five minutes from my house, I, I, I could I could be on on uh, you know a street where you know they're selling you know crack cocaine up and down the street. Um, you know, people are in danger of their lives. You know, if you make a wrong turn, and it, it was kind of ironic. Like I was this dumb 16, 17 year old with my driver's license. And I would leave suburbia five minutes away and decide, hey, I'm going to go to the city. And it was like, oh, my word. I went five or 10 minutes away and I'm in the middle of uh, this dangerous place. Okay. So going back, you know, why didn't people live, leave their land? Okay. Outside of the city to move into Jerusalem. One is there's, there, you know, in that day, you know, people are in an aggregate, you know, community. They had to farm and cultivate to make their living. So when you go to live in the city, there's not a lot of farmland, right? I mean, they're in the middle of, they built this wall in Jerusalem, okay? It's city living, okay? It's not the most redeeming time. So you now have no ability to, you know, have subsistence to, to make a living. They're, they're kind of taking a risk leaving their, their home properties outside of the city limits and moving into Jerusalem, okay? So that was definitely... A, a real challenge of city living. Think about, you know, in terms of danger, you know, if we have a terrorist attack, are they going to attack E-Town? Are they going to attack Philly? You know, are they going to attack New York? Are they going to attack Chicago? You know, I, I think, you know, there's more, um, there were still people all around Jerusalem, obviously, that were unsettled. You know, it was dangerous because people were still going to attack that area, okay? Nobody was attacking the countryside. They're not gonna go, you know, go after my house on my little property out in the middle of nowhere. They're gonna go where there's more people, okay? They can do more damage. So I think, I think the city is more susceptible to dangerous activity. Um, you know, I, I think also, you know, when you look at this, um, they, they go to the second part of verse one and they said basically, that they cast lots to bring one out of every 10 people to live in Jerusalem. You know, what, what's it mean to cast a lot? I mean, you guys are all Bible scholars. I, I know a lot of you guys went to Christian school, some of you. Okay, what's it mean to cast a lot? Like in Philly, it was throwing dice, right? You get on the, I used to go play craps and, and using dice. I mean, what's the difference between throwing dice, flipping a coin and, and uh, you know, casting lots? Is there any difference? I didn't think there was, so not to be like the non-scholar here, but I mean, maybe there was some prayer to it or some kind of spiritual element, uh, <laughs> I hope, but I don't really know besides dice, so. It, it looked like it was similar to flipping a coin. I mean, I, you know, I looked at some commentaries hoping that I would sign, I'd find some profound theology, but it, they, most of them said it's like flipping a coin, okay? Draw but, reckon, straw. But, but recognizing that God is sovereign over the results. <laughs> Okay, so when you actually gamble, then God's sovereign over, over the win or the loss, right? Okay, makes a lot of sense. Uh, okay, so yeah, I grew up right outside Atlantic City, and, and, and for whatever reason, in my mind, I kind of perseverated on this casting lots. I'm thinking, oh my word, they're just gambling on who's, who's going to the city, who's not. I, I do think there was an obedience here of the people, okay? So I do think the people kind of, if I could visualize this, you know, the leaders, all went to Jerusalem, and then everybody else was kind of lined up and willing to serve. You know, I looked at like a draft or something like that, you know, where people felt it was an honor to be called to the city, you know, because that was the Lord's calling. Um, I, I would hope that's the way it is, but, but I think it was as simple as flipping a coin to get them there, okay? So they had to populate the city. I think in order for them to achieve what had to happen was there had to be people in the city. You, you had to have business. You had to have prosperity. 
Okay, so that's kind of set the tone here for chapter 11. Any, any thoughts thus far? Okay, terrific. Okay, so. Uh, so Mike, I, I, no, I was gonna say sometimes uh, leaders have to ask people to do stuff that they don't necessarily wanna do um, because it's the right thing, right? And so it's kind of part of them going into the city was this is what was needed and this was important. Uh, even though people didn't really want to, they were willing, so, but the leader had to ask. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I look at, you know, again, this is very similar. Obviously, I guess the Bible always uses a tenth, you know, when we talk about tithing, when we talk about, you know, casting lots to serve in the city. Um, there, there's an element there that makes sense. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of thought to myself, what if our congregation, 10% um, of our congregation was asked to relocate, you know, within, you know, a couple hundred feet of Mount Calvary Church? You know, how, how would that be? Would we have people willing to do that? Um, I do think we understand the parallel with missionaries, right? They know that they can't, you can't serve a foreign country from a long way away. You've got to go and immerse yourself in the culture. Okay, so this makes a lot of sense to me from a missionary standpoint. Um, when we look at, you know, the next several verses, verse 3 through 24, all that's going to cover are the people who actually settled in Jerusalem, okay? So and when you look at verse 2, the people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. So it was honorable, you know, for you to now change your life to go and to live there, okay? So I think the people in the outside of the city understood what was taking place. So then Nehemiah goes through, and he's always very good to identify these people. Okay, so we go through and, and, and we look and there's all this language of these different people from 11, you know, basically three to 24 of all the people who lived in Jerusalem. Okay, so you had the descendants of Judah, descendants of Benjamin. Again, take notice how I'm just going right over the names and missing them. Okay, this is this is like my passive aggressive subtle. I'm not reading it. Okay. And then you had the priests as well, okay? Then you had the Levites, okay? And then, of course, the gatekeepers, okay? And then verse 20, we get to, and it talks about the rest of the Israelites, okay, with the priests and the Levites were all the towns of Judah, each were on their ancestral property, okay? And then we continue to be detailed about who else you know, we had servants, we had musicians, okay? So I guess what I want to get to at this point is, you know, we, we really look at servants in the church. And I, and I think for me, you know, it really stands out to me that everybody is important in the body, okay? So I think Nehemiah spent all these, you know, all this uh, written text to really... To, to lay out the importance of these people that are needed in the church. So, you know, like, like I, I see Daisy there and, and her husband stands out to me. Okay. Very quiet man. Okay. But what he does is he serves in on that soundboard religiously, right? Every week, the guy's sitting there, he's running around when something doesn't work. Okay. And I think when we look at putting a church together, how annoying is it is you have the best message in the world. Okay, but but if the projector is making a sound, or if if the uh, the the video is not loading, okay, or there's you know I hate it at our church when the speakers pop, okay, that that takes away from the worship, right? So if if you didn't do a good job with technology, okay, it, you're not going to have the proper worship. So I think what Nehemiah starts to to point out as he goes through this is the importance of every person in the body. Okay. And, and the organization of it. Okay. That's the other part of this. Okay. I, I think we take for granted people. The one guy at Mount Calvary, I can't remember his name, but he always works on the flower beds or did. Okay. And I come to church and he's in his jeans on his hands and knees pulling weeds in the flower garden while I'm running in to go get my coffee. You know, I'm going to get my coffee and shoot the bull and, you know, I'm going to have a great, 
a great time fellowshipping, walking into church, and he's on his knees pulling weeds. And I'm thinking to myself, how beautiful those flower gardens look because of one person. There was nobody else doing it. This guy basically rose his hand. I can't, I didn't even know his name because he didn't even talk. You know, he, he was just a quiet man, but he was in charge of all the flower gardens and they looked beautiful. And if he didn't do that, not sure what would have happened there. Okay. Um, I, I don't think it would have looked as beautiful, but he found that to be important. And he saw that as a level of service that had to be done. Okay. And I think within a church, I wonder at times, you know, do we value everything? And in any organization as a leader, are you intentional about calling out the duties of the church? You know, I think that's important or calling out the duties of the organization, because when you don't, then we miss things, you know, and I, and I think, think about in your organizations, you know, I, I know you're in different leadership positions, like, what do you do intentionally on an annual basis to recognize all the important people in the organization? Is there anything that you've seen creatively done? I have to laugh because, you know, like in education, there's Jan there's custodian day, there's bus driver day, there's secretary day. It's almost like the good Lord gave me a profession where they, they actually put things on the calendar for me. Okay. And I still mess it up. And, and I have to say, like, even on bus driver day, you know, we used to give, you know, I, I, ha I have like 30 some buses. Okay. That come at once. And, you know, you get on the bus and you give, give the bus drivers like a muffin or a cookie and you thank them. Okay. Now I know that's important, but sometimes that stuff seems trivial to me, like where I feel like we should do more, do something a little less expected. Um, what are your thoughts with that within the, the body of whether it's your organization or the church uh, in the recognition of everything that needs done? Any thoughts to that? I do know from being married to a servant that um, any recognition is a big deal. Um, he doesn't do it because he gets recognized. He does it because he loves it. But it for him, it's on the bad days, he clings to the times where people say that he's really valued. So... I have to daisy when I see him go flying up, like I feel like he's sweating sometimes, you know, like oh, when, yeah. he's sweat, when he's sweating and he gets up and he goes running up to fix the sound. And, and honestly, you know, it's like, you can tell he he's like on his a game. On a Sunday. And, and I think that to yeah. me stands out. And, and I think, um, you know, I, I, I kind of tongue in cheek this one a little bit and joke, but it's so true. I mean, you, you know, those people, that are passionate about, I mean, Jay Masters was the same way. Like for years, I noticed that at Mount Calvary where he was just there and never really said much, but he also knew that, you know, between him and Glenn on the soundboard, if, if they weren't there, nobody was doing it. I didn't see anybody raising their hand to go do that stuff. You know, like nursery for me is a good example. I, you know, I can't stand the nursery. Okay. Like I remember when people ask me to be in the nursery, I'm like, I hate it. Okay. And it makes me appreciate those who love it because it's necessary, okay? But it absolutely is a place where, I, I, I'm not sure, I think I'm crippled in that area of ministry. Um, and Mike, hey, just yeah. as an aside, Mike, um, this coming week is admin assistant week, so don't forget about your secretary, right? Yeah, I know. I have to say, I'm, I'm spoiled rotten because I work with another administrator who's a female, where <laughs> she just happens to buy all my gifts for me the last 10 years, and I just write her a check. Because I'm not very creative, and she really takes care of me on that one. Um, so here's the thing I would say. Warren Wiersbe said this, okay? Never underestimate the importance of simply being physically present in the place where God wants you, okay? And I think personally, you know, if, and we all go through seasons, you know, uh, seasons of service to the Lord, and they're all not the most glamorous things in the world. It might not be what we want to do. You know, like I'm looking at Matt Allett there and, and Matt, Matt's going to preach someday, you know, on a, on a big stage. OK, but for right now, it's important that he's in a classroom with the kids, you know, getting it done. And, and I think, you know, I know for me personally, you know, when I was in middle management, you know, I might have been an assistant principal. You know, it was kind of like watching paint dry. Like all I did was discipline. Right. And, and you know, I didn't I wasn't the. The, the big guy in charge and and 
my ego at times had to be put on a shelf because God placed me in a position of, you know, that middle management, second command, who is this guy? And I'm thinking, I want to be that guy or that gal, you know, and I think that we go through seasons of that. Um, and sometimes we're just not meant to be in certain roles. And I think that we have to humble ourselves because everything's important. Any other thoughts with that? Um, I never really experienced this till I worked at Mount Calvary, but I feel like there's a culture of gratitude there. And I feel like if I do any little thing, the teachers and everybody is just like, oh, thank you, thank you. And so you, you're not just waiting for one person to do it. It's everywhere. So it's nice. Yeah, I'm amazed, Heidi, because like, like I sit on that board at the Christian school and, um, you know, a lot of times we talk about, you know, paying people more. Okay. And, 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 and it, it's not always what, you know, the incentive for people to be appreciated is not what the world thinks it is. You know, sometimes we think it's higher pay, you know, it's, it's promotion. Sometimes it's just simply recognition. Sometimes it's simply, you know, like, like, like my wife works at, as a teacher at Mount Calvary and she's not working there for the money. Okay. I'm going to tell you that right now. Okay. My wife got into teaching 25 years ago and she made more 25 years ago than she does today, okay, it, when she worked in the public sector. So uh, for me, I have to laugh when we talk about like giving somebody a nickel raise or a dime raise or a quarter raise, because how about we give them, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a day off to plan, a stress-free day to do lesson planning, you know, and recognize their time or give them, you know, a, um, you know, a nice lunch or something like that, just something or, 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 or take their class for a day on recess instead of them sitting in lunch or recess watching kids, tell them to go take some time to themselves and, and give them a little bit of a break. Those are the things I think that matter to those people. And I, I think that we have to recognize what truly is recognition. And I think that's what, you know, you'll see here as we kind of move through the chapter. Okay, any thoughts with that first part? So then the next part, okay, as we get into this, I just wanted to bring up a couple of pieces of scripture. You know, I think one of the commentaries I've read just talked about, you know, unity in the body, okay? You know, I thought to myself, like, I just went through back surgery, but when I went through back surgery, it was because my thigh and my hip and my knee hurt, okay? And, and you, you, you're humbled when the body doesn't work because, you know, my back wasn't working, but my back felt fine. It was every other part that the back and the nerves were attached to. And I think you think of that in regards to or parallel to the church. You know, if, if, if that sound system's not working, it doesn't matter how good Matt's message is, okay? You know, for me, if that coffee's no good when I walk in the door, it don't matter what that message is like, okay? Because I'm gonna be griping about the coffee all Sunday. Okay, so I think that you have to understand, I have to laugh because I've heard so many people talk about music, you know, and people walk in the door, and if the music's not good, or there's too many announcements, they don't hear the message, you know, and, and I think to myself, if all those parts aren't coming together, and if you're not planning like a church service from beginning to end, you're going to have problems in an organization or in, in how things are being received. Okay, again, in Ephesians 4 was another good example, just talking about uh, unity and maturity in, in the body of Christ. Okay, so I wanted to just acknowledge that. And then 1 Peter 4, of course, as well. And, and again, three very good passages that I think after you go through this, you know, when you went through chapter um, 11 and 12, it's good to reflect on those three passages, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, and 1 Corinthians 12. I just took little excerpts out of them, but I thought they were very good for me to just kind of connect the dots on unity. Okay, so the next part I wanted to get into, okay, was just simply, you know, from, I would say, verses 11, 26 to 36, now we're talking about villages outside of Jerusalem, okay? So then we go through, we go through all the names and divisions, Okay, we talk about the priests, and um, now we get to a point in chapter 12 where I talk about the priests and uh, the Levites. 
Okay, so all through chapter 12, we're again laying out the different people um, associated there with Jerusalem. So I won't go through everything, but I tried to highlight things that popped out to me that were just things they were all in charge of, because I think it's still in that spirit of lots of things. It takes lots of things for an organization to do well. Okay, heads of the priests of the families. Okay, more people, family heads. Okay, so this is where we're going to finish and just keep spend the rest of our time on. Um, I just wanted to lay the foundation, and, and I find it interesting that in like two chapters, Nehemiah took his time to go through and acknowledge people, and I think that's a key uh, takeaway, obviously, of anything in the Old Testament, that it's important um, to recognize, and, and you know, you think, think about it too, I think they were also, you know, making a note in history. These are the people that did this, so I think when you look at I mean, I know for me, my hope is someday my kids will, you know, when I die, they'll get my Bible and they'll go through dad's Bible as they're grieving and they'll start to see, boy, this is how my dad was. And these are the notes my dad took or wrote or, or things he thought. And my hope is that they get a chance to, you know, uh, you know, change, change what they do and, and also remember me in a certain way. And I think that's kind of how this is when leaders really acknowledge what what has been done uh, collectively. I think we do a great job of making a historical document for the next generations, right? And I think it's very important to look at your organizations, you know, one, three, five, ten years out, and where do you want them to be, and what do you want them to recognize, and that speaks to the core values. So I think that's important too. Is when you don't you know, what's the old saying about, well, you know, history teachers use it all the time. You know, you, you, you can't you can't improve the future unless you remember the past. Right. And I think that's very important as we go through the, the context here. OK, so let me update my notes here so I know where I'm at. OK, so as we hit uh, verse 27 um, ish. OK, now we, we kind of change our tune here. Okay, and we're going to talk about the dedication, um, you know, dedication of the wall. So that's the new narrative. Okay, so we've, we've done all the first part of this. So now at the end of chapter 12, okay, we'll start verse 27. At the dedication of the wall, Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and they were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs, thanksgiving, with music of cymbals, harps and leers. Okay, so now we're at a point where everybody's coming together. Okay, um, so we've seen how important it is to, to organize, and I think we'll continue to see that um, as we go through, but now they're going to celebrate what they've done, you know, and I, I think that there's, it's important, you know, public dedication, I heard, I heard a, a pastor say this, public dedication marks the moment, okay, and reminds us what God has done, okay? So I think it's really important to celebrate, um, you know, events, you know? And I think for me, that's kind of out of my wheelhouse sometimes. I'm not, you know, I, I have trouble putting that recognition event together, but I know how important it is, you know? And I think that as leaders, you know, you think about this year, like in schools, we have to recognize what our teachers have done through a pandemic, okay? If the kids have been in school and not completely virtual, I'm telling you right now, and even to as of Friday, it is a nightmare to, to do school during a pandemic. I'm just saying, okay? There's more hula hoops to jump through. There's more issues. There's more emotions. And I, I think that we have to recognize that. And how do you properly do that? You know, I think that's a big question that we have to answer even right now coming away from this, this pandemic. Um, you know, think about as we walk into church on a Sunday, okay? Should every Sunday be a dedication ceremony? You know, I mean, is that what the Lord has, has challenged us with in, as a church, as a church body? Shouldn't people walk in there? I mean, I heard this pastor, man, he's, throwing his arms up, he's yelling and screaming, and he's talking about this, okay, and when you celebrate joyfully the dedication, 
with songs of thanksgiving, music, cymbals, harps, lyres. What's that look like in a church? Ever walked into church and it, and it feels like you're walking into a funeral? Okay. And, and I just wonder sometimes, you know, I, I tend to get carried away and carry on and have lots of fun, but I, I was drawn to specific churches because it wasn't mundane. It wasn't predictable. Okay. It wasn't um, kind of a canned session. It was people authentically gathering. And I think that's what we need to have every Sunday on a church. But I'm not sure we always do that. And we have to refresh ourselves. And I think that's what Sundays are for, being that, you know, that celebration, if you will, similar to this. So as we, as we go through, think about that in your organizations, but also think about it in your, your churches, obviously, that every Sunday this should be happening. Every day you're at work, it should be happening. I, I had to laugh because I'm thinking of a teacher. You know, let's use Matt Allett, okay? If Matt didn't sleep well, okay, and Matt bounced two or three checks, you know, two days you know, before the week started, and things were really going bad, do you think his students can see that when he walks into the classroom? You know, if he's not prepared, if he doesn't have that, that, that joyfulness, are kids going to receive his lesson? And I'm going to tell you right now, Matt will be the first one to tell you, adolescents are geniuses at knowing something's wrong, okay? They can read between the lines better than any adult. They'll call you out too, you know? They'll, they'll say to you, listen, okay, why should I be listening to what you're saying? Because you don't even want to be here, you know? And I think to myself, isn't that like it is in leadership? You know, don't have a meeting for the sake of having a meeting. You know, don't have an event just because we've always done it. You need to approach everything you do and celebrate joyfully and be dedicated to what you're doing. Any thoughts to that? Do you ever work for somebody you see that's just going through the motions? I mean, you, you know, you know they're just putting in the time. Is that motivating to you? You know, and I think that's why leaders have to leave leave their positions of leadership if they're not mentally there, you know, and I, it's been so obvious to me in my career when I've got people who are checked out in leadership. Any thoughts to that? Okay, so let's keep rolling on this. So again, verse 28, the musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the neophytes, from Beth Gigal, from the area of Geba, and Asmuth, the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. The priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially. They purified the people and the gates as well. So before you have the celebration, you know, we're leading up to the celebration that I'm going to talk about that they went through. You've got to purify yourself. So that lends itself back to, are you in the right state of mind to enter the church for a worship session? Are you in the right state of mind to go to work? I, I call it a high calling in education to be in front of children, okay? So would you want a teacher in front of your kids that's not purified? You know, think about that. Are we putting teachers in front of children that aren't purified? That in itself is amazing to me because I look at culturally, you know, what the world is bringing into the classroom. Okay, and we're allowing things in the classroom that people 25 years ago would be appalled at. Okay, so how important is it for people to be purified before they do any kind of activity or celebration? So I think that's where, you know, it was very important in this situation. They're getting ready for this big celebration about building the wall. They had everybody come from the outskirts of Jerusalem into the city, and we're going to party. Okay, they're going to celebrate. They're going to make this a monumental moment. But let's pause. Are you purified? You know, and I think in our organizations, we have to make sure that our people are going to represent our organization or our calling very well. You know, from a coach's standpoint, you know, I really didn't want a dope smoker, you know, or a drinker as my captain on the football team. 
Okay. And I had a few of those, you know, I had, I had a captain or two over my years as a football coach that really engaged in activity. That was horrible. And you know what, those were my worst seasons I had, you know, cause the leader was not purified. And I wish I would have, you know, taken those, those captains through Nehemiah as their leadership training prior to being a captain, because this is a perfect situation to pull out as to why they have to be above reproach. Why do leaders have to be above reproach? If you have a leader, I, just, I was just reading about Jerry Falwell Jr. in Liberty, okay? He's falling off the rails, okay? And he's, they're, they're suing each other, you know? And, and I, I find it just appalling that, you know, when your leaders fall off the rails, they can't be there. They just can't. I get to applaud the, 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 the board of directors at Liberty because they removed Jerry Falwell's son who, who invented the, the, the school, you know? And that had to be difficult but they knew they couldn't have this man in leadership because he fell off the rails. He wasn't purified. Any thoughts to that? In my business, I'm amazed at how leaders are recycled. Okay. You know, you have, you have a person make a bad error. Okay. Um, they, they, they have an affair. Okay. They're a superintendent of a school district. They have an affair and they go an hour away and they're recycled as a, as a leader. And you wonder what the heck was the school doing? Were they asleep at the wheel? Didn't they go look around to find out if this person was pure? Now more than ever with social media, we're finding that people have, you know, the one thing I'd say it's good about social media is your, your life is on a billboard, right? Okay, you go ahead and Google Mike Robinson. I'm, you know, you'll find a million things. You know, you go on Facebook and I do Facebook checks. I do social media checks when I hire anybody. Okay. If I go on your Facebook and you got a cigarette in your hand or you got a beer, a solo cup in your hand. Okay. I'm not hiring you as a teacher, you know, and I think the purification process means something before you get to the duty at hand. Okay. I'll, I'll get off my, I'm, I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a bird walk here, Larry. You're supposed to give me a signal when I start yippity yap in the wrong direction. Okay, any comments to that? Okay, here's what's cool now, we're moving on. They took two large choirs to give thanks. Okay, one went to the top wall to the right toward the dung gate. Yeah, again, we're gonna, we're gonna march on that wall, you know, towards the dung gate. I mean, that, that kind of stands out to me a little bit, like even, even the most trivial things matter, right? So, think about it i think it was back in verse in in chapter four okay do you remember when tobiah I'll, I'll read it to you i got it in my notes here okay tobiah was standing beside him and talking to nehemiah and he remarked that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked on top of it okay so a couple of scholars you know went through this and it's it's a nice parallel we're celebrating and we're going to do a party. We're going to march. It's like, think about Disney. Ever go to Disney when they do that band and they go through, you know, downtown Disney or down in the middle of Disney and they bring a band marching. It's like the biggest production in the world. So I, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, they said, those enemies said that we couldn't even put a fox on top of the wall. We're going to take every Jew around and we're going to have a party and we're going to walk along the top of the wall and celebrate. Okay. And we're going to celebrate every part of this wall, even the Dungate. Okay, so that that's kind of how that stood out to me. Okay, so you know you're thinking of that parallel, and you know, is does Nehemiah have a smile on his face as Tobiah is watching from a distance outside of the wall as, as he's throwing his party on top? You know, I think I think Tobiah is probably a little upset, and 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 probably understands you know what's been done here. It's kind of like that cherry on top. Okay, so we did that, and there's two leaders that are leading this. Here's the first one, okay, as we go. If you notice in verse 33 there, you know, it gives the names of, of who was le leading the procession, but we see Ezra taking this group of people, okay? So I found it fascinating that basically Ezra went one direction and Nehemiah went the other. Okay, and then they came together at the very end, okay, um, to worship together. Okay, so you had these two leaders out in front. 
So again, you look at all the scripture and then down there in verse 36, okay, they did this with the musical instruments that were prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession, okay? So again, as leaders, we got to celebrate, okay? As leaders, we've got, we've got to take responsibility, and I think Ezra is doing this, okay? And, and again, it's not because it's a look-at-me mentality. It's because we, we want to be um, the first one, you know, the first one to sacrifice, you know, the, the first one to sign the covenant, the first one to march on the wall. You know, I think it's important that all this takes place. And um, that's why a leader's at the front. Okay. And we know, again, going to Jerusalem was a sacrifice. The whole thing was a sacrifice. It's not like, you know, they're going to Hollywood to be an actor. Okay. They're going to Jerusalem to basically serve the rest of their life. Okay. And then... We talked about the second choir in verse 38. And again, I highlighted I, you know, so through all of this, I means Nehemiah. Okay, so you had Ezra, you know, running the one way, and then you had Nehemiah running the other. And I, I think that's, you know, you had the two Disney parades going in the opposite directions. And then what's going to happen is then they're going to meet collectively, okay, at the very end. So... You know, we'll, we'll move on through almost the end of the chapter. And, and basically down here in verse 42, we talk about the choir singing, okay? And the day that offered sacrifices, rejoicing, um, the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. So you think about what does worship look like, you know? And I think it's very important for us um, to take time and just you know, reflect and be quiet. You know, we've seen that in, in the study of Nehemiah. He's taken time where it's time of reflection and that's worship, you know, time to yourself, time to be alone. But here we're seeing another form of worship and that form of worship is essentially a, a rock concert. It's a party, you know, it's exciting. Like I, I have to laugh because, you know, it took like 10 years to get drums on the stage at Mount Calvary and a, and a guitar. Okay, but it seems to me like this, this should have been there a long time ago. We should have brought the mummers through Mount Calvary. You know, I grew up in Philly and I went to a guy's wedding in Philly one time and they had the mummers walk in. And I'm telling you right now, you know, when those when, when 200 mummers come through when you don't expect it, okay, you wake up and listen. And I think that's what the celebration, you know, in God's house should look like at, at times, right? You know, there's times when you need to be quiet. There's times when you need to be at peace and prayer. But there's times you got to party. And I think this is one of them. And Nehemiah is showing this, and so is Ezra, that, that not only we're going to party, but I'm going to lead the party, okay? Obviously, they're not drunk. They're not carrying on. They're not doing things that are out of line with the Lord, okay? They're just praising his name, okay? Any thought? Yeah, I think I think that uh, celebrating the victories is something that's very important. I'm not sure that we necessarily do a great job of it. You know, I, I was just reminded of a couple of weeks ago where uh, I forget who was giving announcements. They were talking about the sportsman banquet and said, you know, how many decisions were made for Christ. And it's just like we're sitting in church and it's just like, hey, yeah, praise God. All right. That's all. Like, <laughs> it's just so, you know. It's like, what if we're not going to get excited about that, what are we going to get excited about? You know, it's like, where's the, this kind of celebration to see, you know, what God has done and to say, hey, this is incredible. Let's get up. Let's hoot and holler. I mean, let's, you know. You know, the one thing I would say to Matt, to that, you know, again, one, one comment I would make is, I'd love to hear from the people who served at that sportsman's banquet and what it meant to have that, those people come to Christ. Because I think, I think the outpouring of authentic worship comes from those who serve, you know, directly. And, and I know for me sitting there, I, I didn't attend the banquet. I didn't organize the banquet. And, and for me, that becomes infectious. So I think it's important for people who, who serve or intimate in ministry to be at the forefront. We're, we're creating that celebrative time. 
the one thing I'd say is Sam, my son, Sam, it, it was amazing. So we went to see Sam goes to word of life. You know, I've got, I've got my oldest son playing uh, football at a division one school, an FBS program. Okay. And I got my second son playing soccer, you know, at word of life. And, and there is a difference in the athletics at both places. Okay. When you just think about it athletically, but Sam sent me a message that far exceeded anything that I could ever imagine as a reflection for his game. He had his first soccer game at Word of Life, okay? And Jen and I were excited for him, and we hoped he would play. So Sam's team won, but he didn't play one minute. But you know what he texted us? He said, we won two to one, and one person came to know the Lord after the game. That was what he sent me. He didn't say, Dad, you know, it really sucked. I didn't play, okay? That, that's a text message he sent. So, so Matt, to your point, my son Sam continually shows me what it's like to serve the Lord, period, okay? It's not about what the world thinks. It's about what God wants through a ministry. And I'm like, holy mackerel. I was humbled as I read this text. I'm thinking, he's the man, you know? I, 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 I learned from my kid almost on a regular basis. And to your point, Matt, I agree with you hundred percent, you know, we, we need to have a party on Sundays. Okay. And, and, and I, I wonder if we said that from the pulpit, how would that be received? And, and how do we process that? You know, having a party on a Sunday, you know, Christ, why, why do we go to church on Sunday? It's biblical, right? Ray, you want to explain to me why we're in church? Why are we in church on Sunday? Why are we in church on Wednesday? lord's day but and when did christ die okay why was when when was he crucified died and raised again and i i think that's the celebration every sunday as we walk in the door that yeah. we have to you know we have to embody um i don't know matt to your point you know i, I think that's pretty important that we we, we got to light a fire here believers you know have to be passionate if they're not passionate, people aren't going to buy what you're selling for sure. I'm not in sales, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy some from some ho hummer. Yeah. I was just uh, speaking last week in chapel, high school chapel. And uh, we were studying John four and Jesus is looking for worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. And then the truth aspect we're normally really good at, right? It's founded in God's word. And that's certainly the foundation it needs to be, but worshiping in spirit, like it's, I'm excited about this. Like, this is something I get to do. This is something I'm passionate about. And I think sometimes we sort of don't, we don't have those same passions or those passions are directed into something else instead of our worship. And, and it's funny, Matt, a couple of comments that I, I wrote down in my study. One author said, you know, when people come into the church, is it the front cover of Lamentations or the front cover of Philippians? Okay, I just read Lamentations. One easy, okay? Another author, C.S. Lewis said, um, celebration is the climax of enjoying something and it's observable, okay? To me, again, when I have a teacher in front of a classroom that's burnt out, it's obvious to me, okay? And, and not one student's gonna listen to that teacher. And you gotta refresh people so they can come in and, and then take it serious and be authentic, okay? I'll try and close this one up so I don't, I don't keep jibber-jabbering. Okay, so then the, the passage closes. Again, at the time the men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms, contributions, first fruits, and tithes from the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests, and the Levites for Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of God and the service of purification as did the musicians, gatekeepers, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the musicians of the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So the days of Zerubbabel and, and of Nehemiah and all Israel uh, contributed to the daily portions for the musicians, gatekeepers, and they also set aside a portion for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside portions for the descendants of Aaron. You know, again, that brings the close to the passage. And I, I just think, you know, I really wanted to hit this hard just in terms of, 
you know, what our affect is like and, and what are we setting up? I mean, I, my wife jokes with me because I tend to sway as I talk or, or as I stand in church. If I'm standing in church, I'm moving. When I coached on the sideline, I was always moving. It's got to be something neurological for sure. But I, you know, I grew up in Philly. I like, I like to get jiggy with it a little bit. I like to dance, okay? And, and when I'm in church and I get inspired, I, I do cry, okay? I move, and I find myself sometimes I have to settle myself because, um, you know, it's, I'm just a different personality. But, but I think that um, it's really okay for different people to look different ways. And, but, but in the end, they need to have a celebratory attitude, you know, is kind of where, where I, I left with this as I was looking at it. It was really neat to read the end of this. I was going to breeze through a couple of these chapters. And it's amazing in Nehemiah and some of the drier chapters, how, you know, you might have a long passage, but then you have two or three verses that just lay down a great point. And that's kind of what this chapter, you know, kind of did between 11 and 12. Any final comments or thoughts? Yeah, I think you touched on a nice point about what we were just talking about with the celebration. It has to be authentic, too. And obviously, people can see that. They can tell what's authentic and what isn't. And I think that's just as important as being celebratory is like, do you, do you mean it? Is, it? is it real? Or is it you just trying to put on a show? Absolutely. Absolutely. Any other thoughts? Good comment, Matt. Um, I had... <laughs> read a commenter, I've seen a commentary, it's a video commentary, um, that had said that um, that the two main, they focused on two main points. One was the giving thanks and the giving of the, the money at the end or, or, or the dedication. And so they had said that, well, one attacks pride, right? If you can't give thanks if you're prideful. So it's the giving of thanks to God is to giving up your pride and then giving up your money at the end was giving up your greed. And so the two main spiritual battles that these, that the, they had was their, their pride and their greed. Mm. And so then I thought that was very profound. And like, I did not connect thanks with pride. I have never connected that. I mean, obviously money with greed, but, and how the two are related, you know, when you have the pride, it often leads to greed, you know, so. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. That other people well, I found it interesting. It's a great point, Daisy, because I think as leaders, we, we have to insulate ourselves with people who are going to support our purification and, 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 and allow us to lead the right way. So I, I, I think there's money well spent to, you know, like we've, we've talked about this with a transition into a new superintendent at the school, like, like, like we need somebody for six months just to be there for that leader to make sure that they're kind of staying the course personally um, and, and, you know, that accountability, that reflection, that purity. And I think you're right. When you start looking at greed and pride, holy mackerel, I mean, it, it, it disables you for sure. Other thoughts, good comments. I mean, I'm amazed how God too stops us right at right around 730. I didn't even know what time it was. And I, I look at it, it's like 725. It's perfect, you know, perfect time. Brad, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm one at bad at celebrating. So I tend to be like, hey, what's next? What's the next challenge? Like, don't stop now. So this is a great challenge for me, you know, in my business and my life too, just celebrating what God has given me, but I don't often stop to reflect. So a great challenge today to, to celebrate. And I think that comes back to just, once again, reflecting and seeing what God has done and, and celebrating his goodness. Um, but you know, as far as like the business, sometimes I'm so results oriented that I'm never kind of satisfied or I don't celebrate the progress we make, or I'm a, I'm a pretty hard critic. Um, so this is a good challenge for me today. I appreciate it. Well, you think about it too. Like, you know, what do we do nowadays? Like we, we, on Saturday, we binge watch all the shows, you know, instead of, instead of like, you know, the old days you used to watch a, a TV episode, right. And you actually had to watch the commercials between. And then you actually had to wait a week or two weeks for the next show to come on. And you had time to reflect on the, the previous show, right? So think about that in leadership. Like, don't we do the same thing? Like we pound out what we do and we jump on to the next activity so quickly that we haven't given ourselves time, you know, to debrief, unwind, learn, reflect, 
and app and make application. And I, and I think, you know, it's, it's really just that binge watching kind of generation that we have in leadership and you gotta be careful. And, and I think I'm a big fan in leadership of reoccurring events, you know? So for me, if I don't put it in my calendar, it doesn't happen. So I make my secretary put things in the calendar to, to, to stop me. You know, you've got to have those weekly leadership meetings. You've got to have, I try to have a reoccurring meeting with everybody I work with. You know, I have a reoccurring meeting with the transportation director, the cafeteria supervisor, the principals, just at the police officers, just for the simple thing of catching up and having a cup of coffee and saying, how are things? Because one thing always comes out of that reoccurring event. And I think it slows us down. So we intentionally in society nowadays have to slow ourselves down intentionally. You included, Brad. You know, sometimes that line needs to, don't worry about that line that's going out there to 441. Somebody else can handle it. You can go back in the, in the back room and, and, you know, spend a little time with the Lord and they don't need you for sure. Who else? Any other comments? I had to laugh because Ryan Ryan texted me this morning at, at 4:30. He was on his on his way to a job site in Allentown. Okay, and set his guys up. And I see him there on his iPhone now. You know, and I sent him that that my favorite verse in Nehemiah 6:3. You know, that said he had you know he's got good work and he can't come down. He's still going to check in and do his Nehemiah on a weekly basis. And I've really appreciated you know us just taking some time at 6:30 in the morning every Saturday for about 100 weeks. Okay, to just come together and, and just spend an hour to, to try to determine in our own lives, you know, how to be intentional about our own leadership. I think that's that's been the best part of this is just I, I often think I don't even have to prepare for this. I just got to show up and, and babble and let's have a conversation and we're going to walk away with something. So any other final thoughts? Awesome. Get on to your Saturday. Have a great day. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Ray. Thank you.